Good evening. Join us as we descend into the realm of trembling terror. Be warned, darkness and fear await us on our journey among the shadows. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Among the Shadows. I'm your host, Cade Rogers, and tonight we bring you the story of Father Ryan Porter and the dark presence lurking in the house of two of his parishioners. So grab your crucifix, if you're into that sort of thing. You just may need it. Mine. The voice echoing in the empty room gripped Ryan with fear. There was no one there, but something was there. He knew it. He could feel it. There was something right in front of him, menacing with anger and hatred that could be felt in his bones. Piercing into his brain, that harsh voice bellowed again at Ryan, Mine! No, was all that Ryan could croak in response. It was a pitiful response, but it was all that he could force himself to say. Ryan stood still, frozen in place, unable to step forward and unable to retreat. This wasn't what he had expected. In nearly ten years of pastoral ministry, he had never encountered anything like this before. This was supposed to have been a simple house blessing, not an exorcism. And yet, within just a few minutes of beginning the liturgy, things had gone disastrously wrong. The morning had begun without a hint of the trouble that was brewing. The Reverend Father Ryan Porter, pastor of All Saints Church, had struggled out of bed with a splitting headache and much too late to do anything else before lunch. The night before had been pleasant. Dinner, drinks, and several hours of poker with some of his clergy friends had led to wide-ranging discussions that had stretched into the wee hours of the morning. Their conversation had branched far and wide— from their opinions on the politics of the day to their individual views on the reality of good and evil. The Presbyterian pastor, a lady whom Ryan had come to appreciate for her deep spiritual insight, had said that her belief in the reality of evil was only balanced by her faith in God, to which the Methodist pastor had replied that personified evil like the devil was only a figment of human imaginations. The Lutheran minister's response had been a burp, followed by the opening of another can of beer, and Ryan himself had shared that he believed that Satan was probably only a metaphor for the darkness that lurks within tortured souls. You don't believe in the devil, my boy, asked the Catholic priest, as he held out his glass for another shot of Irish whiskey. I'm not sure that I do, Ryan replied. I've never met him. Aye. Then you've never had a bishop who's the devil's brother? No, although our last bishop suffragan could have been the devil's sister, 
<laughs> oh, that's right. You Episcopagans have women bishops, don't you? Ryan grinned, lifted his glass to the Catholic priest, and said, Guilty as charged. As the night wound down and his clergy friends trickled away, Ryan was left to clean up the mess of glasses and dinner dishes before stumbling off to bed around four in the morning. During what remained of the night, he slept beside his golden retriever, Max. Ryan's dreams had been fitful. He tossed back and forth, in and out of sleep, and his subconscious mind only partly registered the unexpected sounds of rattling plates and silverware that were soaking in the kitchen sink. Max, too, had been disturbed, but for some reason the dog had decided to stay in bed, unwilling to leave his human side. As Ryan showered, shaved, dressed, and brushed his hair, he sipped his coffee and prayed for the headache to go away. It was going to be a long day, with meetings at the church office to plan Thanksgiving, Advent, and Christmas services. At some point, he still needed to find time to work on his sermon for next Sunday. Ms. Lena was wanting to come by and discuss a discrepancy in the church's financial report, and late in the afternoon he was making a pastoral call on a family that was new to the congregation. It was going to be a full day, and he didn't have time for a hangover. Before leaving the house, Ryan paused to pour some food and water into Max's bowls, checked the doggy door to make sure it was unlatched, and then gave his faithful pooch a scratch behind the ears and an affectionate kiss on the top of his snout. Max, for his part, sadly watched his human depart for yet another day away. Somehow, the dog knew it wouldn't be a good one. Walking across the yard from the rectory to the church, Ryan noticed that someone had kicked over the little statue of St. Francis that stood guard over the children's playground. Stopping on the cobblestone pathway, he stooped to lift the moss-covered figure, positioning it carefully so that St. Francis had a protective view of the church. Ryan then made his way through the playground and up the half-flight of steps to the church office. It was lunchtime, and Peggy, his 78-year-old secretary, who was also known as the root of the village grapevine, wasn't at her desk. She had left a note saying that she was in the parish hall making a sandwich. Ryan passed through her office into his own and settled into his desk chair before realizing that something was wrong. Turning to look up at the wall beside his desk, Ryan noticed that the icon of Mary and Jesus, which had hung to the left of the window for many years, was missing. He got up, peered over his desk, and saw that the rectangular wooden picture was lying face down on the floor. Curious, Ryan went over to it, picked it up, and checked to make sure that it was okay. He then turned to examine the wall and searched for the nail from which the icon had been hanging. There it was, all right, but it had somehow been driven all the way into the wall. Using the sharp point of a letter opener, Ryan managed to pry the nail halfway out of the wall, and then he rehung the icon where it belonged. Weird, Ryan thought as he returned to his desk waking his computer from sleep, and began working on his sermon notes. Perhaps he could finish at least an outline before the church ladies began arriving for their meeting. What Ryan had failed to notice, however, was that on the opposite wall from the icon, a crucifix was also laying on the floor, its nail also having been driven all the way 
into the wall. After several hours of work, with his sermon notes behind him, the plans for the coming worship services completed, and the church's finances sorted out, Ryan received a cup of hot afternoon tea from Peggy, along with her reproving stare. What's wrong? he asked as he sipped from his tea. Janet Weaver called. She's asked that when you come over tonight, could you please bless her house? Ryan raised an eyebrow. A house blessing? It's been a little while since I've done one of those. I guess I can. Peggy continued to stand there, looking down at Ryan with a look of concern etched on her face. After a few moments, she said, Father Ryan, don't the Weavers live in the Van Heusen house? Van Heusens? Should I know them? Not really, Father. They were before your time in the village. That family was really strange, and most of them either disappeared or died under curious circumstances. Like what? Accidents, mostly. They were a private family and didn't mix with the other townsfolk. Matilda Van Hoosen outlived them all by at least 40 years, and she only died last summer. She was the crazy old bat that most people around here called Broomtilda. Oh, Ryan nodded his head. I've heard of her. The kids in my last confirmation class said that she was a witch or something like that, and that their parents wouldn't let them trick-or-treat over there on Halloween. The joke was that she had retired from Hogwarts or something like that. Not Hogwarts, Father. There was nothing good about her. You know Margaret Phelps, who attends the early service? Well, she lived across the street from the Van Hoosens, and she once told me that Broomtilda would hold these big outdoor parties with several out-of-towners. They would dance all night around a big bonfire and such. Other nights you could see candlelit skulls always glowing in the house's windows, and the fireplace would have some awful odors. I'm not surprised that the Weavers want to have their house blessed. I would, too, if I were stupid enough to live there. Ryan shook his head, smiled, and said, Well, thanks, Peggy. I'll be sure to watch out for any ghosts while I'm there. You do that. I've heard things. I'm sure you have. They don't say telephone, telegram, and telebeggy for nothing. As the sun was setting, Father Ryan Porter turned off the main road and onto the long gravel driveway that led up to the Weaver's house. He was running late, but not because he hadn't departed the church with plenty of time to make the short drive to the edge of town. No. The instant Ryan had pulled out onto Main Street from the church parking lot, his left front tire had blown. Luckily, he was able to roll his car a few hundred feet further down the road and into a gas station, where he was able to get some help to change it. Still, the delay had set him back at least 20 minutes, and now he was arriving late at the house of his newest church members. Still, the Weavers were delighted to see him. No, not delighted. More like relieved. Oh, thank God you're here, Father, said Janet Weaver as she opened the door. We were afraid you would cancel. Ryan, still standing in the threshold of the house, reached out to take her offered hand. I wasn't about to cancel, Janet. Thank you for the invitation. As he spoke, he found himself studying the woman's face. She looked exhausted. There were dark circles under her eyes, as if she hadn't had much sleep recently, and the worry lines had cut deeply into her forehead and around the corners of her eyes. Ryan hadn't known Janet for long, 
but the last time he had seen her she didn't look anything like this. What was happening here? Please, father, come in. We need you. Ryan nodded, and with his satchel over his right shoulder and a stole in his other hand, he purposefully stepped across the threshold and into the house's foyer. Nothing happened. Ryan found that he had been holding his breath for some reason, and his mind kept skipping back to Peggy's words of warning. But, looking though he might, he didn't see any ghosts around. He carefully let his breath out as he picked up the pace and followed Janet into the living room, where Thomas Weaver was just standing to greet him. Father Ryan, or should I call you Father Porter? Father Ryan is what most people call me. I prefer the use of my first name. Ah, well, welcome. Would you like something to drink? Perhaps a gin and tonic or a glass of wine? Ryan was tempted, but he suppressed the urge to say yes and instead shook his head. Perhaps not tonight, but thank you anyway. The three of them sat down, Ryan in the overstuffed chair facing the weavers, who were seated close together on the sofa. Ryan was surprised to notice that Thomas Weaver looked as troubled as his wife. Have I come at a bad time? he asked. I could come back later, or is there something I can do for you? Oh, oh no, please don't go, Janet cried. We really need your help, Father. We need it badly. We don't know what to do. Nothing like this has ever happened to us. What's wrong? Ryan asked, taking a moment to glance around at the comfortable, well-decorated living room and then back at the couple. We're having issues with the house, said Thomas, looking more than just a little bit embarrassed. What kind of issue? Thomas looked to his wife and back to Father Ryan. We don't want you to think we're crazy, but something is wrong here. Something is very wrong. Something else is here in this house with us. Something? Don't you mean someone? No, not someone. Something. Janet's voice was cracking as she spoke, and Ryan noticed that tears were starting to dribble down her cheeks. At first, we thought it might be an animal running around in the cavities between the walls. This is an old house, and there are lots of places where that kind of thing could happen. The knockings would run along the length of one wall, stop, then come knocking back on the other side. Janet's voice faltered, so Thomas picked it up. We would go from one room to another, and it sounded like an animal, a, a rat of some kind maybe. It sounded like a rat was following us behind the sheetrock. We tried opening a hole in one wall at one point to see if something might be back there, but there wasn't anything there. But the sounds continued. There were also these horrible smells like excrement, but much worse. Janet put her hand over her nose, and the look of fear in her eyes was unmistakable. They, they come up unexpectedly, and, the, and they, they go away just as suddenly. And it was like they also were following us around the house. The more it happened, the more we realized that it just couldn't be an animal. A rat or a mouse or some other critter? Janet's tears began again, and Thomas put an arm around her. It was then that the pounding started. Pounding? Pounding. It sounded like someone was on the other side of the wall, hitting it with a sledgehammer. Inside walls, outside walls, walls between the bedrooms, between the living room here and the dining room over there. It didn't matter where. 
pounding would start and continue for an hour or more and then just quit. It really liked to do it after midnight, Janet added. That was when the pounding would happen above the headboard in our bedroom. The hammering was so hard that it kept knocking the painting off the wall above our heads. I don't know, Ryan began, but then he stopped. We think we've got ghosts, Thomas said matter-of-factly. Bad ones. Mean ones. A lot of them, maybe, Janet said. We think the lady who died here, Miss Van Hoosen, might still be here. Why do you think that? Well, well, we've, we've heard a lot of really bad things about her. That she had something to do with all the deaths in her family. That she used to have seances and other satanic rituals here. Thomas waved his hand around the living room and then pointed at the ceiling. Here and upstairs. Ryan sat quietly for a moment. He then looked around again and said, I don't hear anything right now. You will, both Janet and Thomas said together. There are times when it's quiet, like right now, Thomas shook his head, and started gesturing around the room as he continued, and then it just starts for no apparent reason. Sometimes we hear a woman's voice laughing in the distance. Other times we hear a man's voice, a big man's voice, snarling and growling. Often they're talking at the same time, saying the same things together. Sometimes their voices will come from right over your shoulder. Other times their voices will come from the other side of the room. And all the time, it feels like someone or something is looking at you. The fear in Janet's voice and on her face was infectious. Ryan felt himself starting to question why he was even there. He had no experience for any of this kind of thing. He didn't even know if he believed in ghosts, demons, or evil spirits. After talking with the Weavers for a few more minutes, hearing more about the activity that had been going on in the house, Ryan decided that there was no better time like the present to see what this was all about. He opened his satchel, took out his office copy of the Book of Occasional Services, and turned to the Order for the Blessing of a Home. Standing in the middle of the living room, Ryan kissed the cross on the yoke of his purple stole and put it on, its long ends hanging down his front. He then took out a bottle of holy water, which he had filled from the church's baptismal font earlier that day, opened it, and sprinkled water across the middle of the room in the sign of the cross as he said, The Lord be with you. And also with you, replied the weavers. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, grant to this home the grace of your presence, that you may be known to be the inhabitant of this dwelling, and the defender of this household. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. Silence. Nothing. No knocking. No hammering. No nothing. The weavers looked at each other, and then they looked at Ryan. Do you think it worked? pleaded Janet. Ryan shrugged. I don't know. I must confess this is all new to me. That prayer is just the start of a long liturgy that will have us blessing every room in this house. If you want us to do that, we can. And maybe we should. Yes, please, said Janet.
And so they began. From the foyer to the kitchen, to the dining room, and into the study, Ryan led the weavers throughout the first floor of their house, praying the liturgy that was appropriate for each room. As he prayed the prayers and sprinkled the holy water, nothing happened. The house was silent, except for their prayers. All appeared to be at peace. Nevertheless, Ryan found that he couldn't shake this peculiar sense of foreboding, which kept washing over him as they moved from room to room, almost as if something unseen was retreating ahead of their advance. The sense kept growing with each room they blessed until they returned to the foyer and the foot of the stairs that led to the house's second floor. Just as Ryan was about to climb the steps, Janet reached out and took his arm. Before we go upstairs, Father, we wanted to tell you, while a lot of weird stuff has happened downstairs, most of the really bad stuff, the banging, the the voices, the cold, has all been upstairs, and especially in our bedroom. Ryan felt a shiver run down his spine. As she said this, his sense of unease was palpable, and he couldn't help but wonder if his face was betraying his fear. He turned to look up into the shadows that veiled the top of the stairs, and as he began to climb, with each successive step, he could feel his stomach knot. So disturbed was he that he found himself reciting the comforting words of the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The weavers, too, were also coming up the steps behind him, echoing him. They reached the top of the stairs and made their way slowly down the hallway to the right, where the smaller bedrooms were to be found. The weaver's children didn't live at home. Their son was away at college, and their daughter was already married. And so these rooms would eventually be outfitted as guest bedrooms. As of now, however, they were mostly just for storage. Ryan blessed each room, offering a prayer and sprinkling holy water in the sign of the cross, but here, at least, there was no opposition. All was eerily quiet, like the calm before a storm, and Ryan felt himself beginning to doubt the weaver's story. It had all been a fantasy, he thought, or at least an elaborate joke. Maybe. And with that notion, he felt a sense of irritation rise. If they were making fun of him, he wouldn't be happy. But maybe that would have been far better than if it had all been real. Ryan turned to make his way back along the hall toward the top of the stairs and the door to the master bedroom just beyond. Only, with every step he took toward the weaver's bedroom, he could feel that mounting sense of dreadful unease, building like it did downstairs. Indeed, he again had the distinct impression that something was fleeing ahead of him. Pausing at the entrance to the room, Ryan could feel the fear in the pit of his stomach rise even further. After a moment of hesitation, he took a few tentative steps into the bedroom and stopped. The first thing he realized was that the room was unnaturally cold, and steam was rising from his breath. Secondly, he realized that Thomas and Janet were still standing just outside their bedroom, holding on to each other and peering into the room with fear. This was it. If anything was going to happen, 
this is where it would be. He knew it, even though he had never before experienced anything like it. Ryan turned the pages of his book to the appropriate section and said, The Lord be with you. The weavers didn't offer a response. Ryan said it again, The Lord be with you. Thomas and Janet together whispered, And also with you. Let us pray. Let the almighty power of the holy God be present in this place to banish from it every unclean spirit, to cleanse it from every residue of evil, and to make it mine. The voice echoing in the empty room gripped Ryan with fear. There was no one there. There was something in the room with him. Now he knew it. He could feel it. He couldn't see it, but he could sense it. There was something right in front of him, menacing with anger and hatred that could be felt in his bones. Piercing into his brain, that harsh voice bellowed again at Ryan, Mine! No, was all that he could croak in response. It was a pitiful response, but it was all that he could force himself to say. Ryan stood still, frozen in place, unable to step forward and unable to retreat. In nearly ten years of pastoral ministry, he had never encountered anything like this before. Get out, the voice demanded, rumbling with an authority that caused the tiny hairs on the back of Ryan's neck to rise. This house is mine. No, Ryan said, still struggling to speak. I will not leave. Those last words were whispered as if into Ryan's right ear. He jerked sideways and turned just in time to see a shadowy dark figure, nondescript but clearly having the vague shape of a person hovering next to him. Janet let out a scream, and at that the master bedroom door slammed shut on its own, locking out the weavers. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, Ryan shouted, casting a stream of holy water making the sign of the cross at the form that was still in the process of materializing next to him. The form wavered, then dimmed, and then vanished as the sound of sinister laughter could be heard. (laughs) Ryan turned around in a 180-degree circle, searching the room for anything else that might be visible. It was then that he felt a bone-chilling hand rest itself invisibly on his shoulder. As Ryan instinctively jerked away, the invisible hand gripped the stole and pulled it right from his neck, but he snatched it with his free hand and pulled it back. That same cold hand then shoved him on the left shoulder, and that voice then said, Mine. This house is mine. Get out. Ryan wanted to run. (laughs) He wanted to flee. He wanted to say, screw this, I'm going home. But he couldn't. This was it. This was something that he had always doubted. Only now it surrounded him with malevolence, dumping waves of fear into him. He had to face this threat. He had to protect the weavers. He had to be the priest that he believed God had called him to be. Ryan had never had any kind of training on what to do. Oh, during seminary he had studied the Bible and theology and all sorts of liturgies. He even knew how to bless a house, (laughs) but his professors had never told him what to do if something went wrong 
in the middle of a house blessing. He had never learned what to do if a demon decided to make itself known in such a terrifying way. But he did have the liturgy, and the holy water was still in his hand. At that moment, Thomas and Janet opened the door to their bedroom and peered at Ryan. Are you okay? Yes, uh, please stay back. Ryan gulped, and at that moment he wished he'd said yes to the gin and tonic that Thomas had offered him earlier. And then, that was when the sinister laugh began again. (laughs) And with the laughter came a pounding on the walls that rumbled all around the room with a frequency that was beyond belief. The pictures on the walls began to vibrate. The painting above the headboard fell on the bed, and the lights began to flicker as the vibration called the lamps to shake. Ryan turned back to the liturgy, made the sign of the cross with the holy water in the middle of the room, and began again. The Lord be with you. And so you Only this wasn't the weavers. It was the voice, that voice, rumbling and now laughing, mocking him. Yes, you're little man. Ryan turned to look at Thomas and Janet pleadingly and shouted, The Lord be with you! And also with you, they replied. And Ryan continued, Almighty and everlasting God! And the laughter began to fade. Grant to this house the grace of your presence. No! That you may be known to be the inhabitant of this dwelling. Mine! And the defender of this household. Never! Through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said. Who with you and the Holy Spirit. Weeping. Lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Through you. Ryan stopped. The sound of heavy breathing began to fill the room. And a sound of moaning then followed. And the hammering on the walls began again. So Ryan continued. Let the mighty power of the holy God be present in this place. No. To banish from it every unclean spirit. No. To cleanse it from every residue of evil. Never. And to make it a secure habitation for those who dwell in it. The hammering stopped abruptly. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. And the room was still. All was quiet. Indeed, the whole house was quiet and at peace. As they checked inside every room, opened every closet, every bathroom, every pantry, and peered into every nook and cranny, it became increasingly evident that the house had been cleared of that sense of impending dread, and that the sense of constantly being watched was gone as well. It felt Wonderful. Downstairs, Ryan was again offered, and this time he gladly accepted that gin and tonic, and he dropped into the overstuffed chair with relief. It was done. His first and prayerfully his last encounter with evil was over, and all was well again. For several minutes, he nursed his drink, and they chatted about their experience and what it all might mean, and their hopes for the future, now that their house was again their own. 
After settling his frazzled nerves and calming his racing heart, Ryan took his things, put them in his satchel, and said goodnight. Ryan pulled his car into the church parking lot, got out, and made his way through the playground toward the rectory. As he walked, the spring in his step was unmistakable. Here was a man who had faced calamity and yet had come through it unscathed. It was almost as if he couldn't care about anything else in the world, and he began to skip along the cobblestone path. It was, therefore, a much more heart-wrenching disappointment when his eyes caught sight of the statue of St. Francis, yet again toppled face down on the grass. Sighing, Ryan bent over and picked up the statue, only to be shocked when the stone figure's head fell off and rolled across the path. As he stood there, disturbed by this sight, he heard in the distance the warning bark of his dog, Max. Max was a good dog. He didn't bark much, but when he did, it was usually for a reason. This was Max's stranger danger bark. It was sharp, loud, and accompanied by growls. Ryan dropped the now headless statue of St. Francis and ran the rest of the way along the path to the front door of the rectory. The door had been kicked in, and from within he could hear the barking, growling, and whimpering of his dog's pleas for help. Casting aside all his concerns, Ryan dashed into the house. Max, he cried. Here, boy, where are you? Max yelped even louder, and Ryan realized that the commotion was coming from the bedroom. He ran down the hall, around the corner, and into his room, only to miss by inches running into a looming, dark, menacing form of cold malevolence. It was floating in the middle of his bedroom, towering over Ryan's crouched, growling, furious dog. Get away from him, yelled Ryan at the demon, whom he had just fought a half hour ago at the Weavers. In the name of Jesus, I command you. You command? Who are you to command? The voice was bitter. It was angry. And it was not going to back down. You are nothing. The bellowing of the demon caused Ryan to stagger backwards, falling onto the floor at the foot of his bed. As the hovering dark mass moved toward him, Max let out a yelp and darted around the form. Landing on top of Ryan, Max turned to defend his human from the demon with loud, furious barking and all his bared teeth. The demon reached out and invisibly knocked Max aside, flinging the dog through the air to where he landed by the open closet door. Max leapt up, growling, but then was pushed back into the closet and the door was slammed shut. The delay was all that saved Ryan. In those seconds, he managed to struggle back to his feet, snatch a crucifix off the wall behind him, and held it out in front of him as he cried, In the name of Jesus, be gone! No, you brought me in my house now. I'll take yours. This is God's house! Be gone! Ryan yelled. The black form of the demon hovered motionless for a long moment. Then, as its shadowy form began to fade, 
Ryan heard that evil voice say, We will see. And then it was gone. Ryan stood in shock in the middle of his bedroom. He was still gripping the cross in his hands as he tried to calm his pounding heart. The sounds of Max barking from within the closet finally pierced his foggy mind, and he turned to open the door. Out pounced his faithful dog, knocking him over with joy at finding his human safe and well. At least for now. But would the demon return again? We hope you enjoyed tonight's episode titled, Mine, written and performed by Gregory Neal. Join us next time as we bring you another terrifying tale from Among the Shadows. This has been a Four Pups Audio Works production. Copyright 2021.